Section forty of the Macdermots of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Macdermots of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section forty. The Prisoner's Defence. Part one mr o'malley then rose but before he began to cross-examine the witness he addressed the judge there's a witness in court my lord whom i shall have to examine by and by on the defence and i must request that he may be directed to absent himself during my examination of the witness now in the chair it is material that he should not hear the answers which this witness may give i mean mr hyacinth keegan my lord who is sitting beneath me keegan was sitting on the bench immediately under that of the barrister among the attorneys employed in court when he heard mr o'malley's request to the judge he rose up on his one leg and the judge having ordered him to leave the court he hobbled out with the assistance of his crutch your name is pat brady i think commenced mr o'malley pat did not reply why don't you answer my question sir said the counsellor angrily why i told you what my name was afore them gentlemen up there knows it well enough and yourself knows it why'd i be saying it again well my friend i tell you to begin with i shall ask you many questions you'll find considerably more difficult to answer than that and you'd better make up your mind to answer them for i mean to get an answer to the questions i shall ask and you'll sit in that chair till you do answer them unless you're moved from it into jail fire away sir i'm very well where i am and i'm thinking i can hold out again the hunger longer nor your honour your name is pat brady it is whose servant are you whose servant don't you understand what i say whose servant are you faith then i don't call myself a servant at all who's your master then mr macdermot here was my master before this affair i didn't ask who was your master who is your master now why mr keegan mr hyacinth keegan that's just gone out of court he's your master hey he is and a very good master isn't he better may be than your honour'd be and yet perhaps none of the best answer my question sir isn't he a good master face he is so how long have you been in his employment how long yes how long why i can't just say how long have you been a year no six months no will you swear that you never were in mr keegan's pay before six months ago i will you never received any money from mr keegan before six months ago i did not say that why if you received his money weren't you in his pay no maybe he gave me a christmas box or so he's very good to a poor boy like me in that way is mr keegan in whose employment were you six months ago in mr macdermot's yourself knows that well enough and mr macdermot and mr keegan were great friends at that time weren't they face they were not i never seed much friendship betwixt them 
did you ever see any enmity between them any quarrelling or what you very properly call bad blood indeed i did then i believe mr macdermot that's the prisoner had great trust in you hadn't he i believe he had you knew all the affairs about the estate i believe i did he told you all his troubles all his money difficulties didn't he one way or other i believe i knew most on em particularly as to the money due on his father's property which keegan had to receive he used to talk to you confidentially about those things well and ever he did but he did so didn't he faith i don't know what you're after i believe he told me all about everything i believe he did indeed and now i'll tell you what i'm after mr macdermot unfortunately believing you to be an honest man told you all his plans and secrets which you in consideration of certain pay which you call christmas boxes sold to the man whom you knew to be your master's enemy isn't that the fact now no it ain't ah but i say it is the fact and now do you suppose any jury will believe a word you've said after having shown yourself guilty in such treachery as that do you expect the jury to believe you deed i do every word lord bless you they knows me now then tell me can you recall any conversation between yourself and mr keegan since the death of captain usher relative to this trial i can more than one perhaps oh lord yes twenty maybe will you tell us any particulars you may remember of the last a long conversation then ensued but mr o'malley could only elicit that brady had of his own accord informed his master of all he knew on the subject and that he had done so because he thought it right he admitted however that mr keegan had expressed a desire that the prisoner might be hung a great many questions were then asked as to the present holding of ballycloran to which brady answered stating with tolerable accuracy the manner in which larry at present lived on the property and the holding which keegan had upon it he moreover stated that the house was in a very bad state of repair and that most of the tenants who were left on the property were unable to pay their rent he then after much hesitation owned that he had overheard what had taken place between keegan and thady in the avenue on the day when the attorney had called at ballycloran that he had heard the name which keegan had applied to feemy and that he had seen the manner in which thady had been struck he was then asked whether he himself had not cautioned thady against usher telling him the reports that were going through the country as to usher's treatment of his sister this he denied stating that it wasn't probable that the likes of him should go to speak to his master about such things as that he was repeatedly questioned on this point but mr o'malley could not shake his evidence brady however owned that in talking to thady about usher he had called the latter a black protestant and that he had always spoken ill of him and now continued mr o'malley i don't wish to ask you any questions by answering which you will criminate yourself but you have already said that you have been a visitor at mrs mulready's shop oh yes i've been there 
and you have been there when certain persons swore that before twelve months were passed captain usher should be under the sod yes i swear i heard them words and saw the boys take the oath but to the best of your belief the prisoner was never at this house when such an oath was taken is it mr thady he was never at mother mulready's at all but he met the party who had taken this oath at your sister's wedding he did and the same subject was spoken of there was it what subject the propriety of sodding captain usher i don't know about propriety well then the advisability of doing so oh your honor i ain't no scholard i can't make nothing of them long words at any rate they talked of sodding captain usher at the wedding didn't they i never said so well but did they talk of sodding him faith i don't know i don't think they said sodding did they say killing i won't say they did or murdering no they didn't say nothing about murder oh they did not say anything about murder or doing for him perhaps the prisoner and the other boys agreed to do for him maybe they did maybe you were there only if i so disremember you but them's not the words i swore to well they didn't agree to sod him or kill him or murder him or do for him what was it they were to do for him they was to rid the country of him what make the country too hot to hold him eh is that what you mean don't matter what i mean that want what they meant and how do you know what they meant why they meant to kill the man you know that as well as i but i don't know it nor do i think it nor what is more do you think it for you are sharp enough to know that where there are so many figurative terms in use to signify murder it is not probable that had they on this occasion wished to signify murder they would have used a phrase which everyone knows expresses an intention to drive a man out of the country they would have used a phrase which everyone knows expresses an intention to drive a man out of the country yes sir you know that not one of the party would have dared to propose to mr mcdermott to have a share in murder you and they talked of murder at mrs mulready's but you know that for your life you would not have dared to mention it before mr mcdermott now tell me how long was the prisoner at the wedding party maybe three hours was he sober when he came in he was was he sober when he went out sober when he went out yes sir was he sober when he went out i don't think he were not to say sober wasn't he mad drunk mad drunk don't repeat my words sir wasn't he mad drunk face that's true for you sir they're not worth repeating no he were not mad drunk was he drunk and mind sir you are on oath and there were many others present there who will prove whether you answer this question truly or falsely was he drunk when he left the wedding party deed then i don't know you can ask them as were there besides me but i choose to ask you and i choose that you should answer me was he drunk don't i tell you that i don't know on your oath you don't know whether he was drunk or not he was screwed divil a doubt of that 
but then he could walk i wouldn't call him drunk wasn't he nearer being so than you'd seen him for many months faith he were i didn't see him so bad since ledrim fair two years back and now you say that at the wedding the prisoner promised in a day or two to meet the same boys at mrs mulready's to settle their plans of ridding the country of usher yes about that and other things and the prisoner never kept that appointment no mr thady never went there did you ever say anything to him about not going there oh i did we was discoursing about it and what did you say to him on the subject why i told him if he gave the boys a promise he ought never to go back from his word that is to say you endeavoured to persuade him to go by dad i don't know about persuading it won't for the likes of me to persuade him on your oath sir didn't you endeavour to induce the prisoner to go to mrs mulready's i told him he ought to be as good as his word yes you did and you think he ought to have gone maybe if he'd gone there he'd never have stood here this day you wanted him to go to mrs mulready's then wanted no i didn't want nothing about it you only asked him to go just as i told you i said if he gave the boys his word as a man he shouldn't go from it did you say anything to him about mr jonas brown jonas brown yes mr jonas brown the magistrate faith i don't know i can't rightly say think now my man when you were trying to persuade your master to go to the widow mulready's did you mention mr jonas brown's name do you think i'd be counting my words that way how am i to say all the names i mentioned four or five months back on your solemn oath don't you remember mentioning that gentleman's name to the prisoner with reference to his visit to mrs mulready's what jonas brown's name yes faith i may don't you know you did faith i don't didn't you threaten your master that if he did not attend the meeting some of the boys would swear against him before mr brown for having joined the party and taken the oath at the wedding what if i did but did you maybe i did maybe i didn't i disremember them little things the cross-examination continued for a considerable time but nothing further that was material could be drawn from brady he seemed even more unwilling to answer mr o'malley than he had been in replying to mr allwind and at last he was sent off the table the next witness called was mcgovery who had been summoned on behalf of the prosecution he was asked whether he had not suspected that some foul play was intended against usher and he stated in what manner he had in the first place cautioned usher himself then that he had told the same thing to father john and that after overhearing a portion of the conversation at mrs mehan's he had gone to father cullen for the purpose of informing him that he feared there was a conspiracy against mr keegan little however could be learned from him for he owned that he had no substantial grounds for his suspicions in the first case and that he had chiefly been led to fear an attack upon usher from knowing his unpopularity and the bad character of many of the guests expected at the wedding 
mr olover tried to make him say that the conversation at mrs mehan's had been confined to keegan and the threats which he had heard uttered against him by mcgovery would not say as much as this he stated positively that he had never heard usher's name mentioned but that during a considerable portion of the evening he had been entirely unable to hear a word that the men said he declared however positively that thady was drunk when he left the room and that it appeared to him that he thady had taken very little part in the conversation before he was drunk when this witness went off the table mr alwind declared that the case for the prosecution was finished stating at the same time that he abstained from feelings of delicacy and respect from putting the prisoner's sister into the witness-box and that he should trouble her with no questions unless she were placed there by the counsel for the defence mr o'malley then rose to address the jury on behalf of the prisoner and spoke to the following effect gentlemen of the jury it now becomes my duty to address to you such words as may best suit to point out to you the weakness of the evidence against the prisoner to explain to you the different objects we had in our lengthened cross-examination of the witnesses to inform you what we intend to prove on behalf of the prisoner from further witnesses and in fact to put the case before you in a light and point of view differing as i can make it do from that in which my learned friend has presented it to you this you are aware is the general duty and constant object of a counsel endeavouring to obtain a verdict of acquittal from a jury it is a duty in which long practice has made me familiar if not skilful and i never undertook that duty with the same assurance of its facility as that which i now feel after having heard the evidence which has been brought forward on the prosecution i knew beforehand as surely as one can trust to human knowledge that the evidence would fail but knowing the acute legal abilities of my learned friend and the extraordinary avidity which exists among a large class of men for a verdict against the prisoner in this case remembering i say these things i did not expect such a total breakdown such an exposure of weakness as that which has just been made before you were my object merely to rescue the prisoner from an ignominious death had it been my mere duty on this occasion to obtain an acquittal i should feel no hesitation in requesting his lordship at once to send the case before you with such remarks as the evidence would call forth from him and i should consider that i was only wasting the time of the court in pointing out to you the insufficiency of the evidence in which each of you must perceive that nothing whatever is proved against the prisoner but i have been employed with another object and i must own to you that so great is my own personal anxiety so terrible and so undeserved the present position of that unfortunate young man and so essentially necessary is it for his future happiness that i should effect my present object i must own to you i say for these reasons that from the time when i first found myself standing in a crowded court to address a jury up to the present moment i have never felt so little self-confidence or experienced so total a prostration of that assurance which is a lawyer's first requisite as i do at present i have said my object in addressing you is not merely that of obtaining an acquittal and i said so because a mere acquittal will serve that unfortunate young man but little 
unless he can walk out of this court with such a verdict as damning as it may be to others will altogether cleanse his name from the stain of guilt in this matter unless he can not only save his neck from the halter but also entirely clear his character from the gross charges which have been brought against him he would as lief go back to the cell whence he has come as return to his father's house acquitted by the voice of law but condemned by that of opinion on this account i am debarred from many of the usual resources of counsel pleading for a prisoner i am forbidden to make use of legal points in his favour i am forbidden to effect an escape by the numerous weak points in the enemy's plan of attack i am desired to meet him face to face in the open field to fight under no banner but that of truth and not to strike my adversary below the belt you are aware that this is a line of conduct as rare as it is difficult in a criminal court when an advocate has to contend for his client against the law where every possible means of success which legal ingenuity can devise is taken in the prosecution and where you are accustomed to hear every legal technicality used in the defence had i not received instructions of so peculiar a nature i should point out to the jury that no proof has been given direct or circumstantial that the prisoner was the person by whose hands usher fell instead of doing so i am to declare that he did as he is supposed to have done kill the deceased in the avenue of ballycloran by striking him twice with his stick i am to justify that deed and disprove the charge of his having entered into a conspiracy to murder the man whom he did kill the prisoner you have been told and are probably all aware is above the rank of men whom you are mostly accustomed to see placed in that dock he is the only son of a gentleman living on his own small estate and has for some years past acted as his father's sole agent and manager End of section 40